What's up, everybody? It's Lo, your host, and the rest of the Vols ATB crew with Brando, Alex, and Drew. Before we get started, just wanted to give a shout out to our official sponsors at Skybox Bar and Grill. Check them out before tomorrow's game at 415 South Gay Street for some ice cold beer and good food. Um, if you notice the black little blob in the corner, that that's a little bit of the reason that we had a delay. We can't get CG um, working on video, but we can at least hear him. So pleased to welcome Christopher Gabriel back with us again tonight. You can find him on Twitter with the handle at CG Program. CG, how are you tonight? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's great to see the four of you. And uh, yes, the big black blob in the corner. Um, I, I know that <laughs> the gym more, but it, it does sort of resonate uh, a bit. You know, we have had all kinds of issues out here. It's 106 right now. It's going to be 112 this weekend. I just blame all of that. But I'm glad I can see all of you. And uh, it's exciting that we are less than 24 hours, well, close to 24 hours away, whatever kick is, for football time in Tennessee. I know. This time tomorrow night, I will be in Neyland Stadium. I truly yes. cannot believe it. I'm so excited. Um, God. Let's just get let's go around the panel real quick and get everyone's first thoughts just about how exciting it is that it's finally here. It feels like it's been forever. Dear Lord, like I, I was super excited to finally do a countdown post on Instagram and it was like 24 hours and not seven days, 25 days, so on and so on. I mean, I can't believe we're going to be back in Neyland tomorrow. Uh, just saw y'all last week. Now we're all going to be back together minus Alex. But, you know, excited to go out there, tailgate, see the environment, you know, get rowdy. I know that the energy is going to be super, super crazy and kind of a, a unique experience. Year two, all the renovations that have people buzzing, uh, you know, year two of Josh Heupel as well. I just think it's, you know, all setting up for positive images for Tennessee football, you know, going into a season that's not been used to saying that, you know, besides last year and the uncertainty. So super excited for that. I think this is the game we handle and kind of see what we have for the future. Uh, definitely expect some new names to emerge, but just excited to go out there and play football. It should be a good, easy win. Yeah, I mean, guys, it seems surreal that tomorrow we'll all be, except for Alex and CG, of course, that we will be at Neyland Stadium, you know, cheering on the Vols, seeing absolute ass kicking they're going to deliver to Ball State. You know, after months and months of talks, like it's just, it's finally happening. I don't, there's no other words to describe and like, just I'm, I'm pumped. I'm fired up. This is the most excited I've been for a football season in quite a long time. And I think we're going to see something very special this season. I really do. Except for the Florida game, of course. Oh my God. <laughs> really, bro? Like we're not even. Wait, um... we just started. <laughs> Chill out. Golly. And also. Y'all all had to take a shot, but but Alex ain't gonna be there. I know I'm not gonna be there. Okay, <laughs> give me a break. But anyways, yeah, my my appearance in Neyland Stadium is delayed a little bit. But like we was talking before the show, we've we've been talking all off season, like when football season gets here, when football season gets here. But now, like the games tomorrow, it still feels so surreal that we actually get to watch Tennessee play tomorrow. Um, there's a big old spread, and I honestly think. I'm going to just go ahead and say I think Tennessee covers it. I think Ball State gets a high name whooping. Um, they did release a, a nice video, a nice little uh, uh, uniform drop, but I hate to say it, they're going to get their high name beat. CG, you got any, uh, anything? Yeah, I, wasn't, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to wait for you, but, um, yeah, I, I'm right there with all of you. Uh, there's a couple of things on my mind. Uh, 
there's a certain symmetry or a parallel going on with the renovations in Neyland and let's call it the renovation of the program. We're seeing all of these cosmetic things inside of Neyland. We've um, seen some little bits and pieces over the last few years on the outside, and we're seeing the same thing on the field with this team, with this program under Josh Heupel. And there's so much anticipation. You know, in previous years, I think all of us would be looking at this game and we'd all have a certain amount of trepidation. We'd all be like, ah, you know, uh, kind of that BYU, well, Georgia State for that matter. We all had that feeling of, well, let's just hope that they can, you know, do what they're, they're supposed to do. I think under this coaching staff, these players, year two now, I, I expect to see this team cover. I expect to see this team do some amazing things. I agree with Drew there. Um, I think I think that what we're looking at is a team that's hungry. And I, I also feel that, you know, you look around uh, on some of the major sports sites and Tennessee hasn't had a lot of ink. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, Josh Heupel has quietly been building this thing, getting this thing going, and I think he likes it that way. What I don't think, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what I don't think we're going to see anymore is anybody on this Vols team or in this Vols football program with the attitude that we've seen in previous years of we like being disrespected. We like a bit. You know what? Screw that. Let's go out there and act like Tennessee Volunteers football where we expect to win. We do win. And one other thing I'll say, the this was the all school, the all everything school, right? Every, you know, all, more points than any other SEC school this year with all the other programs. Well, normally it's football that leads the way for everybody else. Now it's been baseball, it's been other sports, you know, that have led the way, and they've they've raised the bar, and now it's the football team's tur turn to match that bar and then lift it further, and we're going to see that beginning tomorrow night in Neyland Stadium. Absolutely, I can't agree more. Um, I also I like what Drew said. I mean, this is by far the most excited I've been for a football team, and I don't even know how long. Even back in 2016, I didn't expect that team to be good, so I wasn't even that excited then. Um, this is like all-time favorite. I'm so excited for this. Um, I guess. I guess everyone's first thoughts are out of the way. Do you guys want to dive into like the depth chart a little bit first? Kind of get started there. Yeah. That's fine. All right. So obviously it was a big deal. Brew McCoy was named the other core starter at wide receiver along with Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman um, after NCAA finally deemed him eligible for what seemed like freaking forever. But a lot of people have, raised concern or question um, about left tackle with us alternating between Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford. They're both listed. Um, I've heard many varying opinions, but a lot of people seem to be worried about rotating at such an important position. So let's just go around and talk about that. Is it important, um, good or bad, and why? I mean, obviously the topic is very important when you have a guy, you know, trying to be on the other side of Darnell Wright to protect a guy like Hendon Hooker. Um, obviously in this offense, especially the trenches is probably really important that most people realize of getting that tempo going and letting those guys go fast. But I think when you look at a guy like Gerald Mincy and then, you know, Jeremiah Crawford over there, I think both of those guys equally, you know, have potential to play on the field. And I don't see this as a bad thing. I think we need to understand that, like, if they're going at a time of, you know, going into camp, they wanted to find that one guy and they can't come out decided. Like, I think that kind of says that both guys kind of have that flashes. 
Um, Gerald Mincy being from Florida, you know, he had time on the field. They were raving about him going into this year, was going to be a starter for that team. Jeremiah Crawford, when he came in last year, he came off a 13-year JUCO season game, still competed in this year, had his first full camp with the new staff and stuff. So both guys were really bought in. I definitely think that it's an important thing. But uh, with the other guys on the line, you know, if you could just add that spot and they click well, I think this line will be fine. I think guys like Darnell Wright and Carvin and uh, Cooper Mays up there in center are going to put the force up anyway. But I don't think it's like something really to really worry about. I think with the depth there, um, let's be happy it's not a guy like Dane Davis or Ollie Lane, respectfully. Like, you know, we saw good competition, and that's all that matters, I think, in this position battle. So, through. Oh, okay. I was waiting for Alex. I didn't know how this was going, working. Okay. I don't know. You're up. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I mostly agree with it. It's, I'm not really necessarily too concerned with that. I'm actually more kind of concerned about at, you know, defensive back that we have Warren Burrell still listed as a starter. No disrespect, of course. But I think I just, you know, I was hoping that we would maybe at least get like either like a solidified starter over there with Kamal Haddon or Christian Charles. And I know they're both listed as co-starters at, you know, at the second spot at cornerback. But, you know, Gerald Mincy having, you know, SEC experience, you know, he's knows like what it's like to play in that type of conference. And Jeremiah Crawford, you know, has had a lot of praise out of Juco. I'm not necessarily too worried about it, especially when you have Darnell Wright and Cooper Mays over there and Jerome Carvin, who's I think is one of the best centers in the country. Um, I think we're going to be all right. Um, and week one is one of those like one of those weeks where you kind of play everyone a little bit, see what everyone looks like during game time, and then you can really decide on a really important week two against Pittsburgh on who should be at that starting position. So I wouldn't read too much into it, just like how I wouldn't read too much that Rue McCoy and Walker Merrill are both co-listed as starters. I think they're both going to get playing time. But this is one of those games where you're going to try to play everyone, see where they're at, and then where to go for a very important week two. Yeah, honestly, Drew took everything that I was going to say. <laughs> I, so I, I should have, I should have just went ahead and went. But no, I mean, like you said, this is a game where we expect to be up by a lot at the end of the first quarter, especially uh, if we're basing it off how we played last last year and all of our first quarters. So there's going to be a lot of rotations. There's going to be a lot of substitutions. This game is more of just a let's see where we're at. Um, and then, like you said, going into pit, we'll kind of like finalize things after this week. Um, so honestly, it's just kind of like a wait and see game, see who's in the better shape, see who uh, produces the best. Obviously, if one of them starts underperforming against Ball State, then we kind of know what we've got on our hands, and then that will separate uh, on the depth chart itself. But also, like Drew said, I'm more looking at the Warren Burrell starting at corner Again, no disrespect. I don't want to hate on nobody before the season starts because this is definitely a different season. But based off last year's production, I would probably rather see Kamal Hayden up there or even Dee Williams. Me and Brando were talking about him before the uh, before the show started. Um, he's he's electric. Dee Williams is. He's li currently listed as our starting punt returner. So hopefully we can channel that into our starting corner as well. I also want to go ahead and throw out there that uh, Juwan Mitchell is also listed as co-starter. I'm excited to see who wins that battle between him and Aaron Beasley. Um, I know I kind of got away from the line the line question, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I expect to see a lot of people tomorrow. Hopefully we get to see a, a lot of that new recruiting class that we brought in, get them some reps, get them some playing time, and then just kind of coast at the end. So, Yeah. my What I'm going to be looking for tomorrow is probably a little bit different than what all of you have said, even though you're all going to be looking at the same thing that I'm looking at. I'm looking for uh, a couple of specific things. One is rhythm on offense. Uh, you know, you think about what we had last year, and this was a new coach, a new system. Everybody was 
it took a while for this team to really find their rhythm. You think back to that pit game, and nobody's making excuses. Pitt got the win, and so be it. And you are what your record says you are. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty, all of us know that you look at two or three or four deep balls that if that rhythm was there, if they would have felt as comfortable in the system, uh, it is highly likely the Vols win that game. And we saw elements of that throughout the year. So tomorrow, I want to see wh what is it going to look like with Brew McCoy, Cedric Tillman, and uh, uh, Jalen Wright. I mean, uh, Jalen Hyatt, excuse me. How is it? What's going to be their rotation? Where are they going to work in Jabari, Jabari Small? What kind of a run pass uh, percentage is there going to be? Are, is Josh Hapel going to be looking for the pass to set up the run? Is he going to be looking for the run to set up the pass? Those are some of the things I'm looking for. I want to see the timing with receivers as well, because we all know what Hendon Hooker can do. He now has so many more reps under his belt. I mean, he wasn't even starting last year. Now we're going to get, it's almost like we're going to see a different offense, even though it's the same one, although I'm expecting it to be better. Uh, I want to see, I want to see what the line looks like more, more for what's going to happen against Pitt because Pitt has, you know, Pitt really gets to the quarterback. They really live in the backfield. And so, I want to see how they perform. Are they going to be able to protect Hendon Hooker? Is Hendon going to be more mobile? Is he going to look to be more mobile? I mean, I think we all watched him last year where sometimes we would say, you know, go, go, you know, take off. And he would stay in the pocket maybe a little longer and then he would go and he would usually make something exciting happen. So those, but those are the combinations of things that I'm looking for. Also, uh, guys and low, uh, I, I don't want to just say guys, you know, I just, it feels disrespectful to low, um, uh, I, I want to see uh, I want to see what kind of intensity they bring because and again, I, I feel like with the years that we have all suffered through with this program, there's been a lack of intensity in a game like this. I am not expecting to see that at all. I am expecting to see this team coming out and ready to spit glass and blow fire. Uh, I, I, I think that if they can have it their way, they're going to be up four scores by the end of the first quarter, a la Missouri. So that's kind of what I'm looking for tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Yeah, I was going to jump in real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Unless you have something else. You can go mm -hmm. ahead. There you go. All right. Um, I mean, in terms of the left tackle, everyone was saying that that was such an issue, not here, but just on Twitter and stuff. I think it's probably a good thing that we have two guys that are so equally performing because I don't think it's a battle of who's worse. I think it's a battle of who's better, um, which people need to keep in mind. Also, I just think, kind of like Drew said, we you can always have practice players and then you can have game players or you can have a player who is both. That is another thing that's super important for tomorrow. That's why we have an opponent like this is our first game so that we can see if who is going to shine out, who's going to be both, who's going to be the real deal and who is just good in practice or who is only who thrives in game play, um, game situation, game pressure. So those are all things to keep in mind. Go ahead, CG. Can I throw, I'm sorry. Forgive my interruption. Can I throw one more thought in? Of and course. I'm curious what all of you think. There's one other component to tomorrow night's game that I'm going to be watching and listening for, and it's one word. Well, two words. The crowd. I want to see, you know, we have all had this entire offseason, and all of you have touched on it in one way or another uh, over the last 15 minutes. We've all talked about the excitement that we have. We think, Drew said it earlier, that 
So, so I'm going to use my word. Something magical is going to happen this year. And I think if they stay healthy and they they play on the field the way they play, uh, the way we think they are on paper, something magical will happen. I believe this may be the most raucous crowds that we have had in a long time in Neyland Stadium because I think everybody has bought in to Josh Heupel. Everybody's bought into this lineup. Everybody's bought into what Danny White is doing inside of Neyland and outside. So I think there's going to be an electricity uh, with the fans. And I'm, I'm going to break one thing here. Not that this is like some earth-shattering news, but yours truly, either September or October, will be in Neyland Stadium. Um, I am coming in. The trip's already planned. The tickets are bought. Everything's Ooh. ready to go. Come on, CG. I love it. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait yet, but I expect to meet all of you. Of course. Yeah, sure. It's an absolute so, necessity. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of wanted to touch on a CG statement there, like, you know, being like a crazy crowd for a home opener, obviously on a Thursday, that kind of doesn't play in the crowd's favor. But when you look at everything that's gone off in the offseason, like CJ said, uh, CG has said, you know, the, the renovations, everything like that, you know, with the crowd being hype, the new Jumbotron, the party deck, um, might not be 100,000 in there, but maybe like 80,000, 90,000. Like that'd be still more than we had last year for Bowling Green. Uh, definitely year two, I think everyone's not only how they missed college football, but like CJ said, you know, during the offseason, what Danny White and Josh Heupel did to go, for, uh, go at people for the fan base, you know, writing for the fan base and kind of buying into that aspect of Tennessee not only in the recruiting class, but, you know, just as a fan in general and understanding what the fans do, going to baseball games, going to basketball games, buying and bringing the players there, having that family culture actually be shown out in the public. I just think all of that's going to come mm -hmm. into this game tomorrow. But not only those guys, you know, being high, but like Lois said, you're going to see those guys that are real gamers like Squirrel White, Dylan Sampson, James Pierce. I think those freshmen, a lot more freshmen, are going to get in second half and just feast. I just I, – I don't know. I just know that, you know, Ball State, they lost a lot. Defense lost a lot. New quarterback running a whole new tight end uh, set. I was playing with some of the guys on Call of Duty Warzone, and there's been some rumors around that Ball State's going to kind of do some trickery and you know kind of do that double pass stuff and try to get some big chunk plays on Tennessee early. Da -da -da -da. But I just think we get the ball first, score them, run it down on them. This game's over in the second quarter. Like, let's not forget this team had the biggest first quarter point differential in the country. We're gonna we're gonna destroy this team. I'm glad you mentioned that, Brando, because one of the main things that I'm going to be focused on tomorrow is how's our second quarter offense going to play? Yes. You know, one of the things that we struggled tremendously was scoring points in the second quarter. You know, averaging almost 14 points every first quarter of every game, we were averaging almost six points a game in the second quarter and allowed an opportunity for a lot of the opposition to be able to come back and compete. I think this is a good game, a good test for us, even though, you know, Ball State is, I'll be honest with you, fucking terrible but and i would argue they're probably even worse than how bowling green was last year but you know it will be a good test to see how far this offense has come from a year ago today and also if we can be able to put points in the second second quarter because even last year against bowling green we didn't score at all like but, it was only six at halftime and i remember being pissed as hell but, over there about it so that's gonna be one of my key things if we can be able to get three or four touchdowns you know, 28-0, 35-0 lead at halftime. You know, it'll be groovy, but we got to start scoring in the second quarter to pull out some of these games early. Absolutely. Yeah. I fully agree with that. And I think that it's going to happen. I think that these guys are more than ready to get out on the field. We also have that new freaking light show that they're yeah. telling. 
In terms of the crowd, though, I, I will say I am a little bit concerned. Like some of my patients today were talking about how parking passes are now electronic and all of this crazy stuff. And I feel like there might be a little bit of technical difficulty there and a little bit of error tomorrow trying to get down there in time. Like I'm leave, I'm trying to leave work by five, but traffic and everything, I don't even know if I'll see kickoff by the time right. this gets settled. So it's just kind of like, I hope enough people make it in time, but hopefully uh, it won't be such a shit show, but I'm kind of feeling like it's gonna be. <laughs> that, that ball walks at 415, y'all better, better get down to the circle. Impossible uh, for me. <laughs> I guess it's like a, just a weird throw. Drew said, cause I agree with him and we all, the second quarter issue, I was having a conversation with a pretty good football mind yesterday and we had this idea, you know, it wasn't like it, there was a certain methodology, it almost seemed, that the second quarter, this team throttled down. And I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was coincidence. They looked like we'd see three runs up the middle after they were airing the ball out all over the field. And I wonder, guys, and, and Lowe, I wonder if depth was a problem where they, they thought, you know what, we need to hold back a little bit. We're going to charge up again, come out of the, come out of the locker room in the third quarter and get it going. Depth has been addressed. Uh, there's going to there's certainly going to be more depth this year with a new class coming in guys, you know, more guys in the rotation. And, and I think for one reason, at least one reason, the depth is, I, I don't think we're going to see the disastrous second quarters that we saw last year. I mean, I, I hope that's right. Because if we if we don't have good second quarters, we're going to have some of the same problems that we had last year. No, I, I definitely think there's some good signs to point to that. I kind of look at the quotes from the offseason. You already knew, you know, early in the offseason when it happened that this is only 25% of Josh Heupel's playbook of what he's going to open up on the field. I wonder how that kind of, you know, goes into that. And, you know, Alex Golish last week talking about, hey, we know teams are, you know, studying what we did last year. But guess what? We have a whole new plan of being able to defend those defenses of what people are going to do to us. And kind of throw that out there. And I think that not only helps, you know, original game plans, but definitely, you know, scoring in the second, third, and fourth quarter. Because I know what Drew's talking about when he talks about those differentials. That tweet from uh, Billy Sats, I don't know the exact numbers, but like the big three compared to like Kentucky, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and everyone else, like the point differentials from first quarter to second quarter to what other teams did on us the rest of the game. It's just, you know, it definitely is what killed us, not only with the bad decisions that we made from still being in the game, but that point differential, like you got to score points. You're known for scoring points. You got to score points. So I definitely think that needs to be fixed. But all signs kind of do point to that good vibes. And I guess, you know, we're not going to see it tomorrow. It's Ball State, respectfully. Like Juice said, it's live. So treat Ball State like Ball State. But I definitely think we see it uh, Pitt or Florida game when that comes around. They're definitely going to see who we got and who those dogs are. And, uh, you know, last year we had three to four guys at every position that, you know, we kind of depended on. Josh Heupel said this year he's going to open up the roster and have, you know, five to six guys at positions that, you know, we're not used to seeing. So I definitely think there's a lot on the field. And as long as those guys compete and, you know, contribute, there has to be some kind of good sign to, to fix that problem. Wait, I will say, uh, speaking, still kind of speaking about the roster, um, we did have a question from one of our listeners on Twitter from uh, B. Shablow asking, who is our favorite player on this team? I didn't know if y'all wanted to hit that now or – uh, it, it kind of did go into our last question, but we just kind of kept going. Uh, sorry, I probably should have said something, but if y'all want to take over with that one. Oh, you're good. I'm good with Ants. We can go around and answer that. Brando? Cameron Miller, my boy. Freshman, incoming freshman. Switched from uh, wide receiver to uh, free safety, all-around athlete from Memphis. Going to be a dog in the next three to four years. Cameron Miller, 
my, one of my good friends, favorite player. If not that, I'd definitely still pick another safety, Trayvon Flowers. That guy is going to be an All-American this year and lead this defense. I definitely think that's a guy that people need to watch because he's going to be playing on Sundays here in the next two years. So, Yeah, I mean, I could easily go like one of the easy choices, like Hayden Hooker or Brian McCoy, but you know what? I'm not going to do that. My guy is Christian Charles, who's co-listed second starter at CB. This is a guy that literally was third-string safety last year. Started playing a defensive back because of depth issues and then wound it up being from at the very bottom at fourth string to now list as a co-starter. And I think this would be a guy that's going to surprise a lot of folks. Okay, he's had a tremendous spring practice, great fall camp. Um, and, I, you know, he's one of those type of players that he plays even better, like, you know, just more of an in-game player than he is a practice player. So I can see him being a consistent starter with, you know, by week three, week four. And I think he's going to be one of our top three defensive backs by the end of the season. I am going to go standard here, and I'm I'm going to go with Jalen Hyatt uh, because there's there's a certain magic to, to him when he plays. Um, just there's an electricity that comes off him when he run he runs great routes. He has great hands, and it's no disrespect. Uh, I mean, I saw Brew play at USC, and I mean, and I, if he plays like he did when he was healthy there, he's going to bring something to this team that we're all going to love. And certainly, we all know Cedric Tillman what he can do. Uh, you know, he is just a monster receiver. But Jalen Hyatt has something a little different. Uh, there's just something a little different about him. I'm not going to call him a Percy Harvin because uh, Harvin was a little bit of a different guy. But he has that sort of um, what am I what am I looking for here? That certain explosibility. Let's call it that. That at any given moment he's going to take it 75 and go. Uh, and it could be on a little screen pass, a little dink over the middle. There's just something about him that I love watching. And when he's on the field, it reminds me of when Barry Bonds played with the Giants. If you were going into the kitchen to get another beer or making a sandwich and Bonds came to the plate, forget about all the steroids and everything else. Forget all that. When Bonds came to the plate, you came back into the room. You came back into the room to see what was going to happen. And when Jalen Hyatt's on the field and it's an obvious passing situation, I'm glued to the TV to see if that ball's going to him. So he's my guy. I am going to go standard with this, like super standard, because I'm not a liar and it's the absolute truth. My favorite is Hendon Hooker, but not just because of who he is or his position, but simply because of all the shit that he went through health-wise and just career-wise. And I just think it shows like how resilient he is, not only character-wise and as a person and a human being, but also as a football player and transitioning to these this insane offensive scheme and all of the effort that it takes to learn all of this under a new coach, not giving up um, when everything seemed to go wrong. I mean, all of these are huge, like admirable qualities and I freaking love it. And I really think that by the end of this season, Hendon Hooker is going to be a freaking standout. You know, he, he has everything, every capability to be a, one of the top quarterbacks in the sec this year. And no one's even gave a shit. He's not on any of these lists at all. Nationally, no one cares. Um, he has everything to prove, nothing to lose at all, in my opinion. And I think he's going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'd even, I'd even raise you the fact that he not only will he be one of the best in the SEC, but he's still going to be one of the best in the country. That's, I mean, that's just our opinion. I feel like that's kind of a consensus across the Tennessee fan base. If he performs like he's expected to and, and like he showed he could last season, I'm going to go with uh, a young Dylan Sampson. I think that's that's one of the guys that we definitely need to keep a name on. Um, stud running back out of Louisiana. 
I'm just ready to see him hit the field. That's one of the things I'm excited about tomorrow to see those young guys, like we were talking about earlier, see those young guys get in there. I really want to see him. I think there's a lot of hype around him. Um, and then on the defensive end, I'm honestly really excited to see Byron Young again. Uh, 46 tackles last season, uh, finished with five and a half sacks. But anytime that we needed to create disruption in the backfield, he was usually the reason why. And I think another year under Rodney Garner is going to work wonders for him. Not only him, but the whole line as well. Don't forget, we still have Tyler Barron. I think those two are really going to come into their own this year, make a really big name for themselves, and just cause a lot of problems for offenses just hanging out in the backfield all the time. So there's a young a young offensive dude and an older defensive guy, but those are my two picks. How about a Vols ATV Character Award to Joe Milton? Uh, because Joe Milton yes. could have packed his bag and left, but instead all we have heard from every single player and coach is he has been major positivity. He's been supportive of Hendon Hooker. He's been just a great force in the locker room and on the practice field. And when you have a guy like that, that is in opposition to what most guys do now where they say, oh, I'm not starting. Oh, I'm out of here. Joe Milton has hung in. And I, I think that's the kind of leadership that Josh Heupel has brought to this team where Joe Milton probably would be a starter somewhere else. But he said, you know what? I want to stay here. I'm going to support my guy, HH, and I'm going to support my guys here. We have something special. I'm staying. Hats off to Joe Milton. I will say this hot take for you guys. Next year, Joe Milton will be your starting quarterback, and he will be an all-SEC quarterback. How is that a hot take, though? Because everyone's going to think Nico's going to get it because of his lucrative NIL deal, allegedly. I was going to say, allegedly. I was thinking allegedly. that you were saying that a couple shows ago, Drew, that you thought that Milton, it was Milton's job to lose next season. And yeah. I agree with you. I mean, as, as talented as Taven is and as talented as Nico is, like like CG saying, uh, Milton stayed around. He had one full, he had one year where, like, obviously he lost the starting job, but now he's got a full year in the offseason. He'll have a full year as the backup. And he's still going to get extended period, or he's going to get extended playing time with how well our offense will move the ball and put up points. And I expect to see him, I also expect to see him a lot tomorrow as well. But a continuity just works wonders for quarterback, especially keeping the head coach, offensive coordinator, and that same quarterback all together. So I think I think that Milton is going to really improve, and I think he will turn some heads the next season too. I and, agree with y'all. And it's like I mentioned a couple shows ago as well, though. Like it's just nice knowing that, like, because you know, Hendon Hooker, like he will go down, he will get injured. I don't think he's going to have, like a big injury this year or anything like that. But like there will be plays where like he's going to get hurt because that's the way he plays, and you're going to have to put Milton on there. But it's just nice because I think this is the first time in such a long time that, like, if our starting quarterback goes out, we still have some, like, glimmer of hope that we're still going to be able to drive down the field and score. And, like, you know, given – like, I know people give him shit all the time about that last play in the Ole Miss game. Trust me, I was I was pissed about it myself. But let's not forget, that man drove 45 yards down the field and gave us an opportunity to nearly win that game as well. And he threw an absolute dodge to Tillman, where if Tillman was just a half second early, we win that game. And that's yeah. the truth. I was I was literally oh, in that end zone Me right too. there watching Me it. Too. And I was so sick. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I was like, I, at first, I was like, oh, that's a bad pass. But it was not. That that pass to Tillman was on the freaking money. It was just bad timing, poor timing. And I think that Milton is pretty accurate in the short range of throws, and we have receivers and can run routes that can get you down the field just because he overshoots on the long ball, which he might not even now. We don't know. Um, he may have made huge improvements this season, which I expect that he's oh, had. He so 
in the grand scheme of things, it is fantastic. And then on top of that, you still have Taven Jackson, which, yeah, he has no college experience yet, but he's still talented as well, even behind Milton. So this is the first time where I feel really confident in our like quarterback core and knowing that the next guy who comes in has surely been putting in the work um, under Coach Heupel. And that alone is just outstanding to feel as a fan for once. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like it's just it's such a relief, like compared to like five years ago when our quarterback room was Quentin Dormady, Jarrett Garantano, and Will McBride. And it's like, you know, like just to know that we actually have three talented quarterbacks that could actually be able to predict for us, it's it's probably been at least maybe two thousand four when we had Eric Ains, Brent Schaefer, and Rick Lawson. That I think we've had this much talent in the quarterback room. Right. I think I spoke in the last couple of days. I spoke with someone at ESPN who covers college football, and I can just I can tell you, uh, he's not you know given the world over to you to, to Tennessee yet. But what he did say was, you can see the future for this program, and if you are, and this was the key point he he made to me, if you are a talented offensive player, in particular quarterback or wide receiver. And you look at this offense and you look at the mind of Josh Heupel, why wouldn't you want to play here? And that's really what's changed, right? I mean, find me a coach that we have had that players around the country are like, oh, you know what? I, I got to go play for Dooley. I, I, I got to go play for, for Butch <laughs> And I mean, with all due respect to these gentlemen, I mean, they're all professionals, what have you. They, none of them had or have the offensive mind, the offensive system, and the, the ability to motivate and recruit that Josh Heupel has. And I think we're just we're just seeing, we're not even at the tip of the iceberg yet. We're just kind of finding our way with our picks going up the iceberg. This is going to be a, Tennessee is going to be a destination again. And, and as you guys pointed out a moment ago, our quarterback room a few years ago, mentioning those names, and I'm just chuckling to myself over here thinking, good grief. I mean, from what we were then to, to looking at the room now with Hooker, Milton, and Jackson, and who's coming in, Good grief, man. Good times are, are coming starting tomorrow and in the mm -hmm. next couple of years for sure. Yeah, I mean, the quarterback room, I'm glad someone pointed it out, bro. Those those three, especially Tave, and I think that kid's, you know, sophomore, junior year is definitely going to be a staple. Like Josh Heupel, when he got him, you're, you're one for a reason. But, you know, kind of to go around the whole entire topic, like every single name we mentioned from Jalen Hyatt, D. Williams, Byron Young, everybody, like, I feel like we kind of killed that because all those guys are definitely going to make an impact. And I'm just like super excited to see these guys play. It's been so long, you know, not only you at the quarterback, but every position at well, you kind of look at the edge and like the corners coming back and kind of having that confidence. So. Absolutely. Um, I want to kind of, I think all of this is great, but I kind of want to go around and get everyone's um, score predictions for tomorrow i want to hear score predictions and i want to hear like who you think will be on either side of the ball like the best performer tomorrow who we think that we'll see the best like overall performance all right um i'm gonna say tennessee goes out here and wins this game 53 to 17. i think tennessee's up like 31 nothing at halftime if probably 38 nothing at halftime puts up a crazy amount of points but then kind of puts in those second-year, third-year guys. Um, I think offensively, I look at a guy like we obviously mentioned Joe Milton, but definitely the guy to watch, Dylan Sampson. Everyone's going to be obviously watching Brew McCoy. My guy is probably still Dylan Sampson just because all the hype and, you know, how that running back room is looking. Only four scholarship players in the SEC. That's 
that's kind of worrisome. But uh, defensively, I'll obviously look at a guy like Jawan Mitchell. We're going to get out of year two. You know, last year didn't get a lot from him. Uh, year two, want to see what he can do coming off an injury. And then also another guy like, you know, uh, the transfers, Wesley Walker and Andre Turrentine, those guys, you know, they didn't make an impact to kind of help that uh, defensive backfield. So some names to kind of watch there, that'd be mine. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. If we allow 17 points to Ball State to a quarterback that has never thrown a touchdown in his career, I am going to be pissed. Like, fair get furious, pal pissed off, Maynardville mad, Loka angry, you, you call. All right, I'm going to be furious. I don't think this defense is going to even allow 10 points, much less 17, even if it is our starter string or fourth string out there. One guy that I think I'm going to look for who I think is going to have a great game is Jeremy Banks. I think he's going to wind up being much more disciplined. I think he's worked on that all offseason. And he was one of the you know key guys on our defense last year and probably would have had a different couple turnouts in games had he just had more self-discipline you know, and not cause 15, 30-yard penalties every single game. So I think he's going to get 12 or 13 tackles in there, maybe a fumble. You know, who knows, maybe an interception. He's gotten a couple of those. But I got the balls 49 to 3. If we allow a touchdown on this team, I like that it's unacceptable. Drew, that's kind of wild for how you talked in the offseason. Respectfully, like this man hated our defense all offseason. Is like, oh, they're not gonna allow a touchdown. No, 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 we are we are not I was getting self, you know, self-criticism, which was rightful criticism because our defense was a liability last year. We allowed fifty-five percent of third down conversions. Okay, we couldn't get off the field. And we allowed a walk-on quarterback from Purdue, who probably just got finished with engineering class the day before, throw 55,000 yards against us in the Music City Bowl. So I think my criticism of the defense is very reasonable. But even then, Jeremy Banks was still probably the best player we had on defense last year. So it's okay. not it's not crazy to think that I think they're only going to allow three points on this team because we only allowed six to Bowling Green. And Bowling Green's better than this, than this awful ball state I mean, not to go negaball the day before game day, but Drew, like, what change? Like, I'm gonna use your take. What changed with this defense in the offseason? Like, besides, you know, Andre Turrentine and Wesley Walker, what changed with the D line and you know linebacker position? You I know, mean, all offseason we were worried. What what changed? There's more talent on the defensive line than there was last year with James Pierce and Joshua Josephs and even Tyree West, who's probably gonna get a couple reps, you know, in tomorrow. But there's more depth than there was last year, okay? We have Juwan Mitchell finally being back after him being gone, and I think he's going to add another element. And, you know, when you look at the secondary of Kamal Haddon and, and, you know, Christian Charles and even Trayvon Flowers, it gives me more confidence because these are experienced guys. I'm still not happy about Warren Burrell being starter, but maybe, who knows, maybe he's a completely different player than he was last December. But this is Ball State we're talking about, guys. Like, this Ball State team is terrible. They had three guys that combined for 1,200 yards of rushing and only averaged three yards of carry and four yards per If we allow a touchdown to the team, it's unacceptable. Like, just just beyond unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, I, I just wanted to add you on. I, I know. I think I, I need these freshmen, you know, get 10 to 15 plays. I just knew – I knew that would trigger Drew, bro. Like, Ball State game week one, there was not the perfect timing. So, Alex or CG. Go ahead, CG. Um, okay, thanks, guys. Um, this team, Ball State last year, they were six, they were six and seven. They couldn't stop anybody and they couldn't score. That's a problem. And you look at their schedule last year, and there's just really nobody on their schedule, by and large, that they face that they're going to deal with the kind of talent that Tennessee's going to throw at them tomorrow. 
Offensively, even though I said my favorite guy is Jalen Hyatt, I, the guy I'm looking for on offense tomorrow is Cedric Tillman. They're just, I'm telling you, there isn't a, a, a single player in that secondary anywhere that can stop Cedric Tillman. And they know it, and Josh Heupel knows it. And I would, I'm looking for them, for Hendon Hooker to be setting up Tillman early and often. I mean, I am looking for a monster performance from him. Defensively, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit with Jeremy Banks, so I'm going to go with someone that maybe no one's necessarily looking at. I'm going to go with Tyler Barron. Uh, coming in on the outside. I'm just I'm looking for a big game from him. He's a junior, you know, he's gonna be motivated. Uh, and I don't think that I don't think that that side of Ball State's line looking at what they did last year can stop him. So he's where I'm gonna go there. And my score prediction, I'm really in line with Drew here. I'm going 56 nothing. Um, I just don't think uh, listen, if Ball State gets a score late, I can, I, I get it. You know, teams, you know, they want to go home. They want to meet their girlfriends. They want to go out for some ribs uh, or, or, or a sandwich or whatever. And, and maybe they let up a little bit. But this team should not. How many times do we watch mismatches in, in week one or week zero in college football where it's 73 nothing, 65 nothing, and so on? I really believe that should be this score tomorrow uh, with the Vols and Ball State. I, I mean, unless unless we have wildly overrated the talent on this team, there is no reason, with all due respect to the fine folks uh, from Indiana, there's no reason the Vols should give up a single point to this team. Facts. So I guess I guess now would be a good time to just – I wanted to kind of review everybody's score from the live show. We had we had Lowe at 59-10, to 10, Brando at 59-10, to 10, Drew at 49-10, and me at 49-14. Great. Um, Mine didn't change crazy. Fifty-three, seventeen. That's that's. Not I was gonna say so. So we all we all took less or we took more points away from Boston, <laughs> which I'm fine with that because I'm I'm also gonna I'm gonna bump mine up fifty-six ten. I'm gonna say we get another touchdown and take one from them. Give them maybe like a little cheap field goal because they got lucky. Um, but yeah, CG, like you said, they really could not stop a single soul. Uh, they gave up twenty-eight points per game last season. Um, rushing, they gave up 130, 131 rushing first downs, 176 yards on the ground, 140 passing first downs, and 243 yards through the air. Um, does not look good for them in terms of matchup. So it's it's kind of hard to pick who's going to perform best in this game because we're going to see so many people so often. But I do think uh, I'm also going to say Thunder again, CG. I think that Jalen Hyde's the performer of the day. Okay. I think he takes the top off the defense a couple times and gets two deep balls. Uh, probably scores like two touchdowns, probably finishes with just under or just over 100 yards, and then that's kind of the end of his day. But, I mean, I think, I think like y'all said, it's going to be a, a collective game. Everybody, we're going to control every facet of this game and just kind of walk away at the end with uh, our heads held high heading into the pit game. So, Absolutely. So y'all pretty much took all of my players. I, I was going to say thanks <laughs> because I think that – I really think that he did, even with all of his out-of-control mistakes last year, he was he still played phenomenal given the circumstances. So there was only a massive room of improvement for him to make in the offseason as far as decision-making. So I look to see him be a standout tomorrow and just in general this season. Um, I really like that you brought up those scores because if, ever, if anyone forgot, this is going to be a weekly thing because – we have that big punishment for the loser at the end of the season. 
But um, I love my score for a few reasons. One, I think that we're going to probably either late in the game or something, give up some stupid touchdown just for lack. I mean, just because I just have a feeling so. But I also like it because 59 to 10, I took the over at 68 and a half, which would uh, put me at 69. So I like it. Um, I think that's a pretty reasonable score. Obviously, I don't want Ball State to score anything, but for the sake of my bet and everything else, um, I'm going to stick with that 59 to 10 score. I feel pretty confident in that. Um, I want to, I don't know if you guys are ready to go into the bets. We were going to do a few betting spreads um, on some specific games. You guys want to dive into that? I just wanted real quick before we do that, I wanted to defend my take. Ball State has made this game like their life. I listened to VolQuest and, you know, Fan Run Radio the past few days of having, like, the, the Ball State insider and the head coach on there. These guys have been, like, practicing tempo since fall camp way, way back when they first started practicing before even getting into the season, like spring, fall practice. They've been, you know, conditioning, all this stuff. That's kind of why I give them the benefit of the doubt. A quarterback, you know, a whole new offensive set, kind of, you know, studying all that i don't think the trick plays will work but i definitely think that this team like i give them the benefit of the doubt they're taking it like it's their life you saw it with their social media team today with the white out thing they couldn't spell tennessee right in their social media posts i just think like all signs point to this team coming to play so especially... Look, can, can i follow up with brando what he just said absolutely um th- a thought about that it's it's very much uh, tantamount to when teams and thinking about when Nealon is really rocking and how noisy it is in there. I know it's deafening is what it is. And just like going to the swamp to play or LSU, Washington, Oregon teams pump in the noise and the fight songs, and that's all well and good, but that's nothing compared to when you are actually there and the noise is live. It's real. And like the, um, the Admiral Schofield piece where he's talking about the Oklahoma players saying, I didn't know this was a wall of noise that was relentless for three hours. Ball State can try all they all they want. I mean, listen, the, those young men are coming down. They they're trying to win a game too. They can try their trickeration. They can play. They they're not going to win this game. This game should be over. Should be over by the end of the first quarter. I, I mean, this should be Missouri all over again. And Missouri has a hell of a lot more talent than Ball State has. I also think it's I think it's crazy when a team hops this up and there's so much anticipation going into this game and then they show up and CG like you were just hitting on, they're down 14 to nothing before the 10 minute mark in the first quarter. So it's like you can you can build all that up and you can hype that up, but then like once you get hit in the mouth twice, they're like, Well, shit, now what do we do? When you're like, down 14 like where do we go from here? Because now we now we're losing yeah. and now we're we're playing way out of our comfort zone. We're trying to like do things that we don't normally do because we gotta play catch up, which also puts more pressure on their offense puts more pressure on their defense and just plays into everything that not only our team wants, but our crowd wants. And then we just eat that up. So. No, that's a, that's a super great point. Cause I remember last year, the South Alabama game is uh, specifically the night game. They were super hyped. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, the kind of NFL draft receiver. Everyone was hyped running their mouth, kind of trying to get off hard. And then Tennessee went up to like three scores. Cedric Tillman made that like behind the head catch. And I remember I had like three South Alabama fans next to me. who like traveled all that way and just went home. So. I definitely think that Neyland, you know, all new renovations, like I said earlier, fans buying in year two. I think there's going to be 85,000 loud people that are, you know, remembering last season and what we can do this year and ready to go. So it's like Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan till they get hit in the mouth. Exactly. Amen. I remember, I mean, even like referring back to that Bowling Green game, I remember 
we scored that first touchdown so fast, like the crowd couldn't even cheer because they didn't know we did it. <laughs> so I'm like, and I'm like, if the fans don't know that we scored, like if we if we all sitting there watching that game, knowing like not understanding that we scored that fast, and then we put on another touchdown right on top of that one, we're like, oh shit, we need to cheer because like our team's doing something. Like, what what do you think that defense is going to feel? What do you think that whole that whole Ball State side is going to feel? So. That's all I'm saying. But now we know to expect that. And now fans are sitting on the edge of their seat for every play, knowing that something explosive can happen at any given moment. And we're just like just begging for a reason to cheer. So when, when you're down 14 nothing, and the pride of the Southland has not found their way to the seats yet. Um, exactly. And that, you know it's time to go home. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm super fired up, man. Section M, going to be hyped tomorrow. I'm just fired up now. I am too. I am too. Brando and I are in the same section, so that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna. I have to make sure my phone's charged. I'm gonna be blasted by the second quarter. So. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I'm just. God, I'm so ready. I'm so ecstatic. I I think it's really freaking sad. Like these Ball State people thinking that they really have a chance. I mean, if they actually had a decent lineup, then I would understand. I respect their effort, but it's embarrassing that some of these fans are literally like, ooh, I think it's going to be so much closer, a real close game, like closer than anyone expected. I'm just like, dude, I don't know what you're smoking, but just get the hell out of here. It's so embarrassing. Look, I hate to say it, like they do have that validation and right to have that type of excitement because we allowed Georgia Georgia State to come and knock our teeth, knock our teeth out from ninety five thousand people three. Years. So because of Pruitt, and, you know his stupid face and you know his redneck, <laughs> it's it's allowed these like small programs to think that they have a chance against us, which Ball State won't, but it's valid for them to have that excitement and. It's a season opener. I mean, like, you know, if you're not excited about your team, like, first game of the season, then you shouldn't be coming. I mean, you should, should not be coming. Well, the other thing with that, though, is, I mean, you got to change your viewpoint. Like, this is a completely different team, completely different staff, completely different players. Everything. Oh, no. I agree. I agree. It's a whole different team, a way better team than we have in the last 10 years. But the reasoning for Ball State fans or any opposition coming to Neyland and having that type of excitement that it might be closer, it's valid. I mean, you know, we've, like, again, Georgia State. That's all I can say. I okay, mean, but spoiler wait. alert, spoiler alert, Drew, Georgia State put the beats on this Ball State team last year at the final game. They destroyed this Ball State team. Okay. Like, he, he, realized, he realized that Georgia State team that beat us in 2019, they finished the season before 2-10. So like okay. wait. also Drew also Drew we have a game tomorrow we're not talking about you got to remember you got to remember that Tennessee team also their defensive line lined up five yards off the line of scrimmage and like three defensive linemen stacked on top of they each were other coached by so Jeremy literally Pruitt. as long God, as long as our God, defensive God, line God, lines God, up on the line like their reasoning for being excited <laughs> is valid we're still going to win by seven touchdowns. I don't know why. Can this we do is some argument. point spreads? I want to do the spreads. Can we go to the spreads? <laughs> yeah, we're going to the spreads. I'm, we're rolling on. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to let CG go first on these. Um, now, I'm sure these have adjusted some since I last saw them, but we just picked, we went through, we picked five games that we really liked um, and are excited to see the matchups. So the first one on the list is West Virginia and Pittsburgh. 
so what I had is, well, at the time, the spread was at uh, minus six and a half for Pitt, minus 285 for Pitt, money line, and the over-under was set at 51 and a half. So, CG, keeping in mind that you can't just pick, like, the overall favorite, you can't take the money line um, unless you're picking an upset. Then what would you say, what would you be comfortable with in that game? Well, the are you talking about which of those three that you just gave me, which I would be comfortable with? Yeah, like, but if you're going to say money line, the only way you can choose money line on, like, a true thing would be an upset. So basically, would you feel comfortable betting the spread or the over-under? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm. I would be comfortable uh, with the points. Um, and the interesting thing about this game that uh, is just now getting a little bit more mention is that you have a battle of two USC quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you've got JT on one side, and you've got Keaton Slovis on the other. Keaton, of course, uh, now uh, of of pep rally fame. Uh, you know, if you saw the video of that, yeah. oh my gosh, way to go, Keaton! Bra- <laughs> Bravo, right? young man. Um, but yeah, I, I'm taking, I would take, uh, I, I would take Pittsburgh to cover, uh, on this. I, I mean, this is a, this is a pretty good matchup, but, um, I don't, I don't think West Virginia has the horses to stop, uh, to, to stop them. And I think that Pittsburgh is just going to have an ability, uh, to, to put enough points on the board. I don't know that I would ever touch the over under on this. I, that, that one makes me a little nervous, but. The points, six and a half, you said? Yeah, I would take Pittsburgh with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, CG, to kind of touch on the first thing you said, that Keaton Slovis clip that emerged last night around midnight central time was really wild. The whole – I know the rivalry's kind of there, but the back of my mind, you know, knowing like how we lost the pit last year and Josh Heupel's, you know, kind of, you know, passed with, with Pittsburgh, I was kind of like praying, like saying, like, I wish this guy would say that going into game day against Tennessee, kind of like even though like with Ball Nation on Twitter and stuff. That was just kind of wild. I know that's going to be a game that I'm not going to be able to watch, but when I get home, I'm going to watch the highlights, maybe even on the drive home, Pitt and West Virginia in the backyard brawl. Um, I think – I don't know, man. I think that's a really good team. I, I'm not counting out. Is Neil Brown still the head coach at West Virginia? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he kind of lost some recruits last year, but I think overall, like, that program is not a down-and-out program. They had some kind of good flashes last year, but this is a new Pitt team as well. Kind of depends on what kind of defense Pitt shows out year one using all those kind of super seniors. But I think this Pitt team, um, the energy uh, coming from their QB1 with Keaton Slavis going out all out like that, I think Pitt, uh, if all the projections are right with where they're at this offseason, I think they get the W. So I'll, I'll take Pitt in the points. You know, I'm actually going to I'm gonna disagree with both of you guys. So, wow. they, so the, the spread's actually gone up to eight, eight points uh, as Pitt being the favorite. I got West Virginia covering that. I think I don't think West Virginia is going to win this game, but you got to remember the Pittsburgh is replacing you know first round quarterback Kenny Pickett and James Addison as well, easily the best wide receiver in the country in my opinion. But you know they also have a struggling secondary. In fact, their secondary was one of the worst in the country last year, and I feel like Hen and Hooker kind of showed that as well, even the three quarters they played. And not to mention, we got to keep on like you know we got to remind ourselves JT Daniels is West Virginia's quarterback. And I think JT Daniels is a very underrated QB. Uh, I think he's the, I think he was the best quarterback talent wise under for Georgia last year. And you know I think you know I don't know if they're going to win this game, but I think it will be below six points, and I think West Virginia is going to cover. Um, well, I actually 
took Pitt to cover that six and a half again. I didn't know the line had changed. And I also forgot that JT Daniels was at West Virginia now. But Pitt's at home. And I feel like to ask them to win by a touchdown is not asking too much of them. I think that they do have enough to get it done. Uh, but also, I kind of trust more in their their defensive line and their linebacking core to get at least enough stops on West Virginia to, to get them that seven-point spread. So I take Pitt to cover. Yeah, so if it's at – I actually like Drew's thing. I could see Pitt kind of slipping up here. Um I didn't really feel comfortable with the spread at six and a half, but now that it's jumped up to eight, I am kind of like, uh, I'll switch it up. So I'll go West Virginia is going to cover that eight point spread. I think it'll be probably closer than people think just because it's the first game. And uh, I can see Pitt kind of screwing up there. So next game, um, Utah and Florida. So when I looked at this, Drew, do you have the updated odds? Um, the last I saw, I just put my parlay in today. Uh, Utah was two and a half point favorites, and the over under was fifty one. Okay, so that's uh, that's what I have. So it's not changed much at all since the lines were set. So yeah, Utah, Florida, CG. What do you got? CG. I don't know if he's here anymore. I'm gone. He's done. All right, Brandon. <laughs> All I right. Guess, I mean, I'm going to take the over with Utah. Call me crazy. I know this is in the swamp, right? I know Utah has that crazy elevation they play on, and Utah coming down all the way to Florida to play in, in Florida. I just think that this, uh, this Utah team didn't lose that much from last year playing in the Rose Bowl. This is a very impressive team. Kind of shocked the world last year. I think, you know, Billy Napier has a strong test of playing his first game in the SEC. Um, trying to, you know, build Anthony Richardson in that offense, you know, game one against a strong top 10 opponent is going to be crazy. I just think that even though the environment will be wild, Utah played in that crazy environment last year. I don't think it'll be a problem for him. So I'm going to take Utah over with the points. And, yeah, I think they get the upset. Yeah, I definitely I definitely couldn't disagree with you anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> over under 51, I think it's going to be the under, you know. Uh, Florida has a lot of depth issues, especially at wide receiver. I think a combination of their top five wide receivers have only played six games last year. Uh, brand new, you know, offensive system, new offensive coordinator, Anthony Richardson at quarterback, and they've already lost their two backups as well, uh, potentially for six to eight weeks. So now they have their only Anthony Richardson and a true freshman. Um but, you know, Utah's really struggled to start of the season last year. In fact, you know, they started off the season one and two with losses to San Diego State and BYU. And, you know, during those losses, they allowed over 200 yards of rushing in all three of those games as well, and specifically to San Diego State where they allowed almost 278 yards. I think this is just a different type of, you know, environment that they're going to be playing in. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. Swamp is a different environment than they've ever played in. You know, no disrespect to the Pac-12, but it, it ain't SEC loud, okay? And I just think it's going to be a really tough, you know, hard-fought matchup. I think Utah wins this game, but I'm looking at maybe like a 24-20. to 20. I think it's going to be very close. So I, I took the easy way out, and I just said Utah covers that minus 2.5 because really all you're doing is asking Utah to win the game. Uh, most football games, you all know, aren't decided by like one and two points. They'd like you at least get up by a field goal. So I went ahead and took that just because I feel like that was like the safest bet. Um, 
like Brando was saying, Utah returns a lot, but Florida just doesn't. There's so many question marks around Florida, not only with just their depth chart, but also their head coach and staff. Billy Napier, like you said, Drew's never coached in the SEC before. Um, but so there, there's too much that I'm wondering about Florida. Granted, they could come up and show out and play one of the best games of the season already and maybe even upset Utah. But, like, to me, that just doesn't seem like it's uh, – or not possible, but probable. I think Utah comes in and at least wins by a field goal. So I take Utah minus two and a half. All right. Um, I went bold and I said I went Utah money line. I think Florida is going to be garbage in this game. Probably embarrassing. They might even block each other like they did a few years back, which would be hilarious. Um, I think it's going to be trash. Utah wins probably by. If you really wanted to get interesting, I think you could do an alt spread of upwards of four or four and a half Utah. Um, so I like that one. I guess CG has since disappeared. Um, so we're just going to go to our next game, Cincinnati, Arkansas. Um, I'm trying to pull up updated. I'm here. Oh, you're here? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you're back. What yeah, is yeah, something happened there. Um, if, you, if you want my Utah-Florida thought, I'm going money line as well. Um, a couple of thoughts about this game. Utah is big and physical and nasty. Uh, they are. They have a tremendous running game, and they have a great defensive line. Uh, I don't. Uh, the problem with Utah in the last ten road games, teams that finished with a winning record, Utah is two and eight. Utah last year, they had no good road wins except for maybe the Pac-12 championship game. They they lost at BYU. They lost at San Diego State. They lost at Oregon State. They just can't beat anybody good, or they haven't had a history of beating anybody on the road that's really good. I'm going to disagree with Drew. I think Drew said, uh, well, I agree with Drew that there's really nothing in the Pac-12 uh, noise-wise that 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 is similar to the Pac, the, similar to the SEC. Well, that's not entirely true because I've been to Washington and I've been to Oregon, and I'm here to tell you. Uh, the decibels with the game that I was at at Washington hit 130. Um, so I, I'm just telling you that giant steel cantilever that Utah has played there and done well. Utah has played at Oregon. Oregon is absolutely deafening. But yeah, the swamp, what makes the swamp different, we all know this, is that heat and that miserable humidity. And it's just nasty. But I still think there's this proclivity to say, well, you know, it's the Florida Gators. It's a Florida. This is not Spurrier's Gators. This is not Urban Meyer's Gators. Um, I like. I think Arizona's. Excuse me, Arizona. Uh, I think Utah is a hell of a lot better than a lot of the quote-unquote experts think. And I think Utah comes in here, and I, I think they can spank Florida. I really do. Absolutely, I like it, um, and I can't wait to watch it either. But uh, moving on to Cincinnati and Arkansas. So the line is set at minus six and a half in favor of Arkansas. Over-under is set at 51 and a half. Um, let's roll through these. We've got like this one and two more. Am I going or CG? Uh, CG's first. Yeah. Oh, I think Arkansas I think Arkansas covers the points here. I, I do. I, Cincinnati, um, you know, they've been, they've been kind of a – uh, a darling the last couple of years, and everybody's loved them. I think the glow is off. I think the talent is a little bit thinner this year. Uh, I think Arkansas is 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 going to be a tougher place for Cincinnati to play than they're used to playing. Uh, so I'll keep my thoughts brief. I think Arkansas covers here. 
Yeah, I have to agree with CG there. I think there's so many teams that think they can go into Arkansas and beat Arkansas in their home turf, not knowing how crazy it actually is, not only in basketball, but football. Last year you saw it with Texas a few years ago. It was us. This year it's going to be Cincinnati, I guess. Um, Luke Fickle, he's a hell of a coach. Great team that's going to reload, even though they lost a lot last year. But I just don't think you go into an SEC opponent and win week one. I just don't see it. I think Arkansas covers. So, Yeah, I mean – the one that I saw that I picked on my, my parlay, uh, the Hogs were six-point favorites. I think they're going to easily cover that. You know, you got to remember that K.J. Jefferson, star quarterback for them, is returning. And Arkansas, believe it or not, actually led the SEC in rushing last year as well. So when you take into account of that and plus the losses that Cincinnati have on offense, including, you know, quarterback Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, and Alex Pierce, I think this is the talent level is just completely different than the Cincinnati team last year. And in fact, I think Arkansas wins this game by 13 or 14 points. I also take Arky to cover. Uh, they're also playing at home. I think that's a big thing, especially for the early games. Um, and like y'all said, not that I think Cincinnati's like success last season was a flash in the pan, but I, I just think that I am buying into the to the Arky hype as the, for everything that Drew had said. Like I think they have a really well-rounded team. I think Sam Pittman's doing some really good stuff down there. I think he's actually turning a lot of heads down to Arkansas. I'll definitely turned mine. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think Arky covers easy, covers that six and a half. Yeah, I, am. Um, I just went ahead and said Arkansas money line. I hate messing around with covering spreads like this, um, just because it's the first game of the season. So at, when I was looking at it, I just kind of felt uncomfortable. I feel like something weird's going to happen in this game, but, and it could be really a lot closer than, most people expect, but I felt comfortable with Arkansas money line on that one. Uh, next one, I'm super excited to watch this game. It's number 11, Oregon, number three, Georgia. The line is set at 16 and a half in favor of Georgia. Over under is set at 53 and a half. CG, what do you got? I, I'm going to take Oregon on the points here. Um, I, I think that uh, the, the, the fact that their, their staff has been pretty well briefed on what Georgia is able to do is going to have some effect. Oregon will travel. They'll bring a lot of fans to Mercedes-Benz. It's in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, we can make the play that it's in the state of Georgia. It's in Atlanta. But it's still not quite the same thing as playing in Sanford Stadium. Not that Sanford is the hardest place to play in, in the SEC. It certainly isn't. But I think Oregon's a little bit better. Uh, they've got, they've got speed, they've got size and, and, you know, they've, they've got, you know, they've got Dan Lanning and they've, they've got, I think they've got enough to keep it close, uh, and to make it interesting. I think Georgia wins, but I'm taking, I'm taking Oregon with the points. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the same, I think Georgia ends up winning this game, but, you know, to say that Dan Lanning isn't going to come in here to his former team, being a defensive coordinator, you know what Georgia's probably going to throw out there in a second year with Stetson Bennett not going to use a young guy, knows what that offense is probably going to be like after, you know, playing in the Natty. And, you know, I just think that that staff over there with Bo Nix and everything, even though it's a year one for a guy kind of playing different, going from SEC defensive coordinator to a Pac-12 head coach, I think he knows a lot about uh, Georgia. And I just don't think that week one that Oregon's going to get embarrassed like that on national television. With all the talent that Georgia lost to the draft, only returning three starters, I think, on offense and seven on the either probably flip-flops. I just don't think that Georgia goes or Oregon goes out there and gets embarrassed like that. I think uh, Georgia definitely covers the points. So, yeah, I want to throw a little curveball, guys. I'm going to take uh, the over/under, which was at 53 when I picked it this morning. 
Um, you know, you got to remember Georgia's lost over five starters on the defensive side, replacing their entire defensive line pretty much. And they had some issues at linebacker. And one of the things that kind of surprised me is that they struggled a lot on third down, especially against teams like Tennessee and Alabama and even South Carolina. And, you know, Oregon you know, has like two or three guys that were on the all Pac-12 conference team from their defensive side. And we have to remember as well, this is a, the same Oregon team last year that went to Ohio State and pulled off a massive upset. So this is a team that is not afraid to play top talent. And, you know, Dan Lanning has had this game circled the moment that he took that job at Oregon. And so, you know, his, you know, his boys are going to be prepared. And, you know, Bo Nix, being an Auburn guy, hates Georgia with a passion. So, you know that he's going to give his absolute all for that well for revenge on them so i don't know if oregon's going to win this game i definitely think it's going to be closer than 17 and a half and i definitely see it being you know an absolute barn burner like a 36 to 30 so. i agree i also think that oregon covers that 17 and a half uh because everybody wants to everybody wants to knock off the defending national champ and i think that with as historic as georgia's defense was last season i and like y'all said the losses that they've had I, I have a hard time seeing that they recreate that, seeing that they recreate that same, at least in game one. Maybe on the maybe on down the line they figure it out, but in game one I feel like Oregon has enough to combat their defense. Again, like y'all said, I, I don't know that Oregon wins. I think Georgia actually wins by like seven or ten, but I think Oregon has enough and Georgia's lost enough that they cover that spread. Absolutely. I honestly – people may think I'm crazy for this, but if – Georgia isn't careful. This game could very well become way too close. Like it's almost upset alert for me at this point. If they come in cocky and after all the people they've lost and they don't have a lot of things tightened up from the get go, it could get really ugly for them fast. Um, so I do think this is upset alert, but I'm not confident in picking that. So I also just picked Oregon to cover that spread. And I would even say, an alt spread of as much as like 12, as close as 12, 11, um, somewhere around there if you really want to get fancy with your odds. Um, last game, I love this game. I'm excited for this game. It's Florida State, LSU, at LSU. Um, spread is at three and a half in favor of Florida State now. So that switched. Um, the over-under is at 51 and a half and LSU was favored to, yeah, LSU's favored to win, but Florida State's favored to cover the spread. So, CG, what you got? I'm taking the under on this. I, I, I think that both teams are going to struggle a little bit offensively against each other. Florida State showed them themselves last year to be very, very uh, adept at struggling. And I, I think we're going to see that. I don't think – I'm not buying into Brian Kelly at LSU just yet. I don't think that he has the offensive um, fluidity, let's call it that, yet to, to see, a, a, you know, a game that's going to go into the – you know, a, a, I'm sorry, an over-under that's going to go into the high 50s or low 60s. I do think LSU wins this game. Uh, but um, – and I think it'll be an interesting game, certainly. Uh, it, I think LSU maybe wins by 10. Uh, but uh, I've, I'm going under here on this game. I mean, honestly, I know it's, you know, game one for Brian Kelly, huge opponent in FSU. Yeah, they got a huge, you know, week zero win. But I just think that, you know, LSU, all the offensive weapons, they returned their quarterback, had a quarterback stay. Kayshawn Butte, SEC versus FSU team that Mike Norville, I think, still hasn't got a whole grasp on for 
still struggling all aspects on the field recruiting. I just think even though it's Brian Kelly's first game, I think all the weapons are there at L uh, LSU to get this week one win. I think LSU definitely gets the cover. Uh, I got I got LSU. The one I picked, they were three-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they're going to easily cover that. In fact, I think they're going to blow out Florida State. You know, even though this game isn't at Tiger Stadium, it's at Mercedes-Benz, you know 99% of those fans are all going to be Tiger, you know, yep. Tiger diehards being there. And I have zero faith in Mike Norvell, especially after seeing them lose to Jacksonville State at home last year to start off the season. I have zero faith that this man could even pull off a decent win. Much nice. less So, you know, LSU does have a new quarterback with Jaden Daniels, but you got to remember they still have one of the best wide receivers in the country, Jackson Smith. They got a great secondary that has a little bit more depth now than they did last year, starring Jay Ward at safety. An improved defensive line with BJ Lujari and one of their key stars at the defensive edge a couple of years ago that missed all last year was Allie Gay, and he's returning as well. So, and I trust Brian Kelly with his, you know, experience and success with the offensive line to improve that offensive line. That was one of the big struggles LSU had last year. So, and he's still, in my opinion, one of the top five coaches in college football. Some of y'all might disagree with that, but his crack resume at Notre Dame backs that statement. I think LSU wins this game by three touchdowns. Three. Wow, that's impressive. I, I think that's kind of reasonable. Crazy. I don't I don't know. I, I agree. I think LSU does cover the spread. I think I think they kind of low ball on LSU there. Um maybe as in a kind of knee-jerk response to FSU blowing out Duquesne, uh highly touted Duquesne program. Um where that poor old boy, what was the number 50? Got memed across the whole internet. That was kind of tough. He looked like he's wearing uh, wearing red pajamas, but no, I agree. I think I think LSU just has enough talent to not only win this game but win it handily. I think they win by like ten or fourteen. I don't know about three touchdowns, but either way, LSU covers the spread. For the sake of just my gut feeling and just wanting to be different, I think that LSU is going to grossly um, underestimate Florida State. I am not a Florida State fan by any means. But they've already had at least a little bit of game experience under their belt. Um, I think LSU will probably come out cocky. I don't even know. I think I picked I picked the upset on this one. I said, screw it. Florida State's going to do something with LSU. I don't give a shit. I didn't actually I, – I just feel like something weird is going to happen. I kind of wanted to go ballsy on this one. So that's what I did. Um We'll see how it plays out. The only reason I did that, too, is because I don't have a punishment to deal with. <laughs> so I like it. Um, and this, that's going to close us out, guys. I just wanted to thank CG very much for coming on again. It's always a pleasure getting to hear all of your insight. And hopefully we'll get to meet you soon. Uh, listen, uh, the pleasure is mine. Uh, I truly love coming on with the four of you. It's a lot of fun. I feel like we're all friends. Uh, even though we haven't met in person. But like I said, uh, the tickets are bought September or October. You'll find out probably within the next week. And I'm, I'm making this. There's probably people listening going, oh, I don't give a damn. Who is this guy anyway? Some West Coast, whatever. Uh, but no, I, I look forward to meeting all of you and uh, you know, a little fist pump, some hugs in person, uh, because uh, this is uh, such a pleasure to get a chance to come on with all the four of you. And and uh, and I, I love the back and forth and the debate and and what have you. And it's just, uh, it's good Vols talk. So thank you. Anytime you want me to jump on with you, you know, I'm always here. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Thank Appreciate you. Cindy. Um, 
So that'll do it for us. Uh, we are less than 24 hours away. We'll probably be celebrating a win close to this time tomorrow. Um, so, so exciting. We've made it, guys. I, I can't wait. I'm ecstatic. And that'll do it for us. So until then, good night. Go balls. I'm waving. Bye-bye. <laughs> good night. Go balls. See you, CG. Bye-bye.